All right. Well, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Thanks. Uh, glad you could make it this morning. So, uh, like Becky was saying, so um, uh, yeah. So uh, we have three daughters. She didn't mention that. So we have one in high school, two in middle school. So we have a lot of talking in our house. That's the way we like it. So that's what I always say, and it's true. Uh, what she didn't say was that we were on vacation from uh, Monday morning until Thursday, and then we went straight to Milwaukee um, from our vacation to where uh, Becky and I were helping assess church planters in inner city Milwaukee and with the EFCA. So, uh, so I'm going to take a nap this afternoon. That's what I'm going to be doing. So hope you all don't take a nap right now. So like I'm going to hopefully I don't fall asleep as well. But... Anyway, thanks for joining us. So, uh, so just a heads up. So, uh, usually sermons here at River City, uh, the ones Brandon preaches and the ones I preach, they're usually about thirty to forty minutes. Uh, so this morning they're going to be about it's going to be about twenty to thirty minutes. So, uh, so our kids' church this morning, uh, we just had some scheduling challenges. So like we only have one kids' church room instead of two. So. Uh, Allie is the kids' church teacher. So I told her I'm going to be only preaching for about twenty to thirty minutes. So, and I texted her that this morning. She was like, "Thank you so much." Anyway, so anyway, so this is a this is a thank you to Allie. So, um, and lastly, uh, before I jump in, like, so I just want to talk a little bit about our uh, church planting residency that we're going to be having, um, hopefully this year. So we kind of rolled that out about a couple months ago. So we've been having some uh, potential candidates like contact us and. Um, with their resumes and everything. And like, some people are just like, you know, I just type back, it's like, thanks, but no thanks, send, you know, and everything. I'm really nice. But man, there was, uh, there was somebody who contacted us uh, while I was on vacation. I was trying to not check my email. But um, yeah, there was, there was one guy I was just like, I would really love to get to know this guy. So I'm going to be FaceTiming with him this week. So if you guys could be praying about that, uh, the vision for the residency is to uh, for someone, for a whole family to come here who is eventually going to plant and they would spend a couple years here being a healthy, life-giving, gospel-centered environment for their family and we would be their sending church wherever they're going to plant, whether that's in Dubuque or just like wherever that is. So um, yeah, so we're not going to shoehorn somebody into that, but we just are really excited about like God providing with that. So, so if you could be praying for that, that would be super great. So, anyway, so this morning uh, we are going to be our preaching series about is about the attributes of God. So, in other words, like what are the static and unchangeable and glorious characteristics of God, and how should those attributes affect our hearts and our minds and our lives? So, because um, if because if God is who He says He is, the then the attributes of God should foundationally and holistically affect us in really practical, deep ways. So in the last few weeks, Brandon has been preaching about God's incomprehensibility, how God eternally exists in the form of the Trinity. Um, He's been preaching about his self-existence, his immutability, which is a fancy word for just God's unchangeableness. And then last week, Brandon preached on God's infinite goodness, and that was a really great sermon. So if you haven't heard that one, you should definitely go to your podcast feed about that one. It was a really great sermon. So in this week, and I'm going to be preaching about God's omnipotence, which is just a fancy word for his all-powerfulness, like his almightiness, his infinite power. So, so this morning, we're going to be looking at chapter 38, and then so that we can just get a glimpse of what the Bible um, says about God's omnipotence. And then after that, I'm just going to be talking a little bit about how God's omnipotence just really affects us in really practical ways and changes us. So then we'll be responding to him in communion. So let's pray. God, um, we're really thankful for you, and we're thankful for all of who you are. 
And we're thankful that we can see that you are a, a self-revealing God. You care about self-revealing revealing yourself. You care about making yourself known. So we're thankful that you've given us scripture to just really see who you are and the fullness of who you are. And we don't want to just see the fullness of who you are. We really want your spirit to really capture our hearts and our imaginations for like, um, and just seeing the relevancy of who you are, God. Like we can't really rejoice in who you are except by your spirit. So we really trust you for that. I love you. Amen. Uh, so this morning, so our passage starts in Job chapter 38, verse 4. So Job is a book in the Old Testament, which is the first half of the Bible. So, so the passage will be up on the screen. So we're parachuting into the book of Job this morning. So, and we're, gonna be, we're not going to be sucking the marrow out of this book or out of this passage, but I just mainly want to look at this passage as it relates to the vivid description that we see in it of God's omnipotence. So in this passage, Job is in grief. But God is choosing to yank Job out of his grief because Job's desires in his heart are tempting him towards being self-focused and being self-absorbed. And God's response to Job's self-focus and his self-absorption is by taking Job on a mind-bending, heart-changing tour of the natural world. But the focus on this mind-bending tour of the natural world is not the glory of the natural world, but rather the glory of the, of the God of infinite power who created it and makes it do its, his bidding. So in Job's chapter 38 and 39, like we find some of the wildest and most beautiful and imagination-expanding and descriptive word pictures that we see in the entire Bible. And as author Paul Tripp says, it takes this kind of writing to even come close to capturing the power of the Lord Almighty in a way that would allow us to grasp even a bit of its glory. So let's start, verse 4. God says to Job, Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimension? dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footing set? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Who shut up the seas behind doors when it burst forth with from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness? When I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place? When I said, this, this far you may come and no farther. Here's where your proud waves halt. The where were you question in verse 4 is meant to humble, not humiliate, but humble Job. That question is meant to confront Job with the vast difference between him and God. And that question is meant to confront Job with his weakness. And that, meant, that question is meant to enable Job to see that everything in the universe exists and is held together by one thing, the power of God. God's power is unique to him only. His power never wonders about capability. His power never requires the exercise of strenuous effort. 
His power has no lack or knowledge, lack of knowledge or understanding. His power never needs instruction to ask permission. His power is never is without challenge or rival. His power is gloriously autonomous and self-sufficient. So let's stay in chapter 8 then verse, and jump down to verse 34. So God is still talking to Job in this passage. Verse 34. Can you raise your voice to the clouds and cover yourself with a flood of water? Do you send the lightning bolts on their way? Do they report to you, here we are? Who gives the ibis wisdom or gives the rooster understanding? Which time out? Like when I first read this, I was like, what the heck is an ibis? Okay, so like an ibis, apparently, it's, it's this big bird with, not big bird, he's like a big bird with like long legs and just like a, a long beak. And it kind of looks like those egrets that fly around in the upper Midwest. So, um, yeah, so these ibis birds, they would just, flocks of them would just like show up in Egypt, and they would just always, every year, show up exactly right before the annual flood of the Nile, which is a big deal because it was an agricultural community. So the Egyptians were just like, these ibis birds, like they, they just show up. They know everything. They're so wise. How do they know this? And God is like, who gives the ibis wisdom? Verse 37, who has the wisdom to count the clouds? Who can tip over the water jars of heavens, of the heavens? When the dust becomes hard and the clods of earth stick together, do you hunt the prey for the lioness and satisfy the hunger of the lions? When they crouch in their dens or lie in wait in the thicket, who provides food for the raven when its young cry out to God and wonder and wander about for lack of food? The can you question in verse 34 is the ultimate rhetorical question that God asked Job. It's the ultimate rhetorical question. It's meant to boldly highlight the immeasurable difference between the creator and creation. Job, can you do what I do? Job, do you have power over everything exists like what I have? And the only rational answer to God's question is something along the lines of no my power is, relatively speaking, a universe away from the power that you have. You alone, God, have the power to create everything that exists, to put everything in its appropriate place, to make everything work in coordination with the rest of creation, which is, sounds really complicated, and to hold them all together so that the cosmos doesn't descend into chaos. You alone are almighty. That's the only rational answer to God's question. That's why Paul says in, in Colossians chapter 1 in the New Testament that Jesus holds all things together, and he does that by his omnipotence, by his infinite power, by his almightiness. And what is inferred in that is that I do not hold all things together, that you do not hold all things together. Only God holds all things together. He is omnipotent and all-powerful, and I am not. So according to God's words to Job, the, the argument from creation is clear. There's no power like the omnipotent power of God. And to say that God has the power to create and control everything is, is simply to say that God is God and there is no one like him. The power to speak creation into existence and hold it all together, is the highest form of power. 
That's why Ephesians 3 in the New Testament, it says that God is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine, comma, according to his power. So that's a glimpse of the omnipotence of God, his all-powerfulness and his almightiness. And God's intention for, for his glory and our good is for us to rely on God's power, to trust the working of God's power, and to be content living under God's power. But because of the sinful tendencies in our heart, like that's not always our desire. Because instead of trusting and relying on God's power, we're often tempted to trust and rely on other forms of power that the world offers. And ultimately, worldliness like emanates from our heart, so it's not out there. It's ultimately something that's the desires of our heart. And there are countless forms of, of power that we're tempted to trust and rely on instead of God's power. But my goal in this sermon, um, and it's not just because Allie has a million kids right now, it's like it's, the goal of this sermon isn't to comprehensively talk about every, every form of other power that we're tempted to trust and rely on. So um, a few years ago, um, Brandon was talking to me about uh, his philosophy of preaching. And he made a, the really good point that um, often preachers can have a desire to be capital C comprehensive in their preaching. And he said that sometimes, not always, but sometimes that desire for, to be comprehensive, that is, can be a subtle um, way of trusting and relying on your own power as a preacher instead of trusting and relying on God's power to change and transform people. Like, how are people supposed to change if I don't tell them exactly how to change in every single kind of way? You know? So a word that often gets used in conjunction with the Holy Spirit in the New Testament is the word power. And that's because the, the work of the Holy Spirit is ultimately where the power for true gospel-centered change like, comes from. And that does not negate the scriptural admonition that we see like for faithful preaching, but it does calibrate the heart of someone who's preaching. Um, so when I talk about ways that we're tempted to trust and rely on our own power instead of God's power, um, that's something that, that's relevant for all of us, including like me with a microphone up here. So, so before I get into a, bunch, a bit of application, I just want to first say a couple things that like, will hopefully alleviate... Um, a bit of misunderstandings about God's omnipotence. Um, when we say that God is all-powerful, like when scripture talks about that, and he has the power to do anything, that can be a bit misleading. Because yes, God is powerful enough to do anything. But theologically speaking, God always exercises his power in relation to his other attributes. God always exercises his power in relation to his other attributes. So, for example, Brandon's sermon last week um, about God's infinite goodness and as a good father, um, it's valuable to hear a sermon like that um, in as it relates to a sermon about like God's omnipotence. You know, those things really go together because it's important for you to know and believe that God is infinitely powerful. But if He isn't also infinitely good then is he going to leverage his power against me in some kind of way? Like, can I trust him? Is he just going to be like that domineering supervisor that I have at John Deere that's trying to stifle my career? 
Like, what kind of God is he? What kind of character does he have as an omnipotent, all-powerful God? In a few weeks, uh, we're going to be preaching also, like, because this is the attributes of God that we're, like, um, with this sermon series. So we're going to be preaching about God's holiness. And God's uh, attribute of holiness is good news when it comes to understanding his omnipotence, because God's holiness means that he is infinitely and forever without sin. And the upshot of that is that in the exercise of his infinite power that we see in Job 38, like, God cannot and will never sin against you. Yes, God is infinitely powerful, but he is also infinitely good and infinitely holy. That's why we need to see the whole picture of who God is um, in relation to all of his other attributes, instead of just honing in on one or two of our favorite attributes of God. Um, that's a problem because when we lopsidedly focus on one or two of our favorite attributes of God, that can often lead us with a distorted view of who God is. So in, in some kind of ways, like um, I can think about this in terms, of, um, in terms of my relationship with Becky, my wife, who was up here earlier. So um, I think Becky is the funniest person I've ever met in my life. She's so funny. That is one of her attributes, you know? It's like... Man, she is, I am way funnier now than I was when I was like 25. When I, I was just this brooding kind of person, just being serious. Like, I'm just way more like, I don't take myself as seriously as I used to. So, like, she is just really funny. Um, but if I lopsidedly, as a husband, just focused on, like, that one attribute, she would have been, oh, you're so funny. You're the funny lady. Just tell me another joke, okay? Just make me laugh. That just like, completes me, okay? Um, she would eventually be like, thanks for thinking I'm funny. I also kind of don't think you know who I am. <laughs> I am more than just my one attribute of being funny, you know? And there's a version of that that we can sometimes have with God. It's like we have our one or two favorite attributes, but like when we see of all of who God is, like we see him for all for who he truly is. Like it's good to highlight and underline stuff in your Bible. You should do that. That's a good, okay? But if you really want to know who God is, like read all the stuff in your Bible that you don't highlight and underline. We can see fully of who God is, and he is glorious and good, and it's good to see all of him and not just part of him. God's invitation for us to scripture is not to see him in a partial way or a lopsided way or a distorted kind of way. When we view God's omnipotence in relation to his goodness and his holiness, like, then we see that God is clear. He clearly isn't a domineering boss who's going to leverage his infinite power against us. You know, it's kind of like when we see, like, a seven-year-old and, like, we give them, like, uh, like status or power over a situation, like leaving them in charge of something, which I don't know why anyone would ever do that. But like, I mean, suddenly like that seven-year-old, they just start like barking out orders and domineering people and just like bossing people around. Yeah, it's like, um, that's what power does without goodness and without holiness, like what God has. Like it's not trustworthy. It's power that's not trustworthy. Yeah. That's often how we're tempted to understand God's omnipotence. That's not who God is. So he doesn't leverage his power against us. 
But for us, like, we're often tempted to do that. Even in Christian circles, like, leveraging our power over others is, in domineering ways can sneak, often sneakily and benevolently show up in, in more or less than telling someone, I love you and I have a wonderful plan for your life. And I'm going to tell you how to live your life because I know what's best for you in every sort of way. Because deep down that you're convinced that you know what's best for everyone. And that can show up as being domineering or brash or just simply just being a little pushy, a little smothering, a little opinionated, giving unasked for advice. And people can often feel, around us feel um, end up feeling used because they're being treated as a means to an end, to achieving our goals and our objectives that we have for people. That's when often when I hear people disproportionately talk about others in uh, with language of usefulness or helpfulness. That's usually code for they're trusting and relying on their own power instead of God's power. But the good news is that believing the gospel is the way out of that. Like my friends who struggle with domineering tendencies with power have often told me that it's helpful for them to ask God to empower them to believe that, it's, that life doesn't necessarily work best when they're the ones who have the final say in, in all the decisions and all their input is heeded. Like asking God to empower them to believe that that's not true. And just really, because the gospel says quite the opposite. The gospel says that life works best when God is the one who has power in someone's life, not necessarily us. In that way, believing the gospel frees us from using people as a means to an end. And believing the gospel frees us from micromanaging people's lives and decisions. And believing the gospel frees us from having a psychotic persistence towards others that this is the way that it needs to be done. And believing the gospel frees us from being driven nuts when our advice isn't immediately received and accepted by someone like our spouse or our coworkers. Believing the gospel frees us to love instead of using them. And ultimately, we see power used perfectly in the life of Jesus. If you want to know who Jesus is, like a good place to start is John 1, Colossians 1, Hebrews 1. So Hebrews 1 says that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. And the upshot of that is that if you want to know who God is, then you need to look at Jesus. Jesus is our perfect, perfect example of what power looks like. Because ultimately, Jesus used his power not to serve himself, but to serve and sacrifice for us. Like he powerfully live the perfect life that we were supposed to live. And he powerfully and sacrificially died the death that we were supposed to die. And God the Father then powerfully raised Jesus from the dead. Like, that's the gospel. And we see in the gospel that Jesus leveraged his infinite power and his omnipotence to perfectly love and perfectly serve and perfectly satisfy the requirements of God's holiness that we could never do because of our sin. And Jesus did that for us. That's how he used his power. And the only right response that we can have to a God with infinite power and infinite character 
is to submit ourselves to him. That's why we take communion. That communion symbolizes that. When we take communion, the bread symbolizes his body. The drink symbolizes his blood. And those things were broken and shed for you. When you go take communion, that's you responding in appropriate weakness to his infinite power. When you go take communion, that's you submitting in humility to him. Like before you take communion, you should put your simple but life-altering faith in him. Thank him for powerfully serving, powerfully forgiving you. Thank him for powerfully sacrificing himself for you. Thank him for powerfully being raised to life. Thank him for authentically, thank him authentically in your heart. And in doing so, don't make communion some kind of like religious, go through the motions kind of thing. Like just because everyone else is doing it. And if you aren't a follower of Jesus, I would encourage you to hold off on taking communion because you don't want this to be a religious, go-through-the-motion kind of thing. You want this to be an authentic, responding to the person of Jesus in your heart. Yeah, But if you're ready to submit to him as your forgiver and as your leader, like you should pray and surrender to him and then go take communion. Like You take the bread, you dip it in the juice, you take communion that way. There's going to be two communion stations in the back right there. Um, the worship team is going to be playing three songs. You can go back and take communion anytime on your own, like um, during those three songs. Let's pray. God, we're really thankful for who you are and your omnipotence. And we're just really thankful that like you reveal yourself fully to us. And um, yeah, we're thankful for you, God. And we can't, like I was talking to you before about this, God, like we can't rejoice in your all-powerfulness without um, your spirit really making that good news. Thank you for, like, um, for the person and the work of Jesus being the ultimate expression of your power. Thank you for not leveraging your power against us. Thank you for being good to us. Yeah, Please empower us to submit to you and respond rightly in our heart level to you because of that. Yeah, we love you. Amen.